valuing what's valuable, I want to do something that I've done very rarely in my time here. And that, and that is to go over a lot of what I said last week. Now, I haven't thought, what should I say on Friday night? What should I do? Uh, I didn't think like that at all. But I did think during the week that what I want to share this, this week, uh, what I shared last week is really important. And I don't want us to forget it. You know, they say that sometimes when you say something uh, about, I don't know what the statistic is, but it's something pretty crazy that after about five minutes or something, you've totally forgotten what I've said. So I'm going to just delve back into what I said last week where some of you might go, oh, that's right, he said that, I need to do that, or whatever it might be. So I want us to, to look at a number of things that we said last week, but then I want to finish up at the end looking at, this, at the, um, the, the, the oldest son in the story that we looked, like, looked at of the, of, the, of the disobedient son, the, the younger son. I want us to look at the older brother just um, at the end. But I want to start by telling you a story that someone shared with me last, last week. And it's the story of the lost engagement ring that I'm going to show you a picture of in a minute. But this was reported in the news a few weeks back. It just highlights just what it must mean to, to lose something and then find it again. It's the story of Mary Grahams who lost her engagement ring in 2004. Some of you will know this, but for those of you, don't tell the person next to you because it's a good story and I don't want you to kill it for them. And she, while she was pulling up weeds out of her garden, uh, she lost her engagement ring doing the gardening. And before she had a chance to look for it, her son, Brian, they lived in Canada, called out that he needed a ride into the shops into Edmonton. And Mary said, I came back and I started looking. I looked for days and days and I couldn't find it. Mary being now 84 years old. We looked high and low on our hands and knees, but we just couldn't find the engagement ring. She said she knew the ring must have slipped off near the potato patch, but it was a really large garden. She said, usually when I lose something, I don't want to brag, but I usually am pretty lucky in finding things, but I could not find it this time around. After a few weeks, she bought another engagement ring, which she had to replace the one that she lost, that she had since 1951, a year before she married her husband, Norman. I didn't tell him that I lost it, even because I thought for sure he would give me a hard time or something. Now, if you're married, just if you've lost yours, just maybe just slip your hand under there if you're thinking, oh, no, I better not tell if that's happened to you. But anyway, um, but anyway, she thought he'd give me a hard time, so I never said anything at all. And, but she said he never even noticed that I had replaced the ring. Okay. Fast forward 13 years. And the diamond in the rough showed up in her garden, which now belongs to her son. Brian, her son, said, My wife was digging in the garden and was digging up the carrots for supper. And guess she came up with the carrot that had something on it. Dave. There it is. <laughs> 13 years later. Brian told the Edmonton News, my wife was digging for carrots for supper and guess she came up and here was the carrot. In the evening light, a sparkle caught his wife's eye. A ring circled the middle of a carrot, much like it had on Gran's finger. She showed me this carrot and, I, and said, do you know anything about this? I said, I think I do. Mum lost her engagement ring quite a few years ago. 
When the couple called Mary with the good news, she thought they were joking because they couldn't stop laughing. But the next day she found out that diamonds are indeed forever when her granddaughter delivered it to her. Graham said her husband, who died five years ago after 60 years of marriage, would have got a great chuckle out of the old ring turning up. Anything I do outside, I'm going to take it off now, she said. Well, there's a smart move. I should have put it in a safe place in the first place. What are the chances of finding the ring you lost in the garden 13 years ago on a carrot that gets pulled up in the veggie patch? So, if you've got a veggie patch, today's the day. If you've lost something, maybe you might find it on a potato, I don't know. But anyway, is that an amazing story? You know, many of us, when we lose something of great value and we find it, aren't we? We're so excited. But you tell someone else and they're like, oh, that's, that's great. You know, like, oh, no. Imagine, look at us now. Well, that's a nice story. We don't really care too much for Mary. But for her, it's just this great joy. Found what was lost. You know, in, in, in Luke chapter 15, it highlights to us what is most valuable to Jesus. And it also highlights to us what should be of value to us and what we need to, to, to do to not get distracted on believing that, that there are other things that are of greater value to Jesus. So Jesus in Luke 15 tells these three stories of of lost things being found, familiar stories to, to many of us here. And, and, and what we see through this story, and the hope here in reading this, and as we spoke last week, is this, that as followers of Jesus, that we would seek to align our hearts with the heart of Jesus. You know when your car is not aligned, and you take, the steer, you take your hands off the steering wheel, it slowly pulls itself to the left, or the right, doesn't it? Does that happen to anyone else or is it just Sonia's car? Is it just, nah, is it, is it, does that happen to anyone else? That's what happens because you're, there's something not quite right. The alignment is not right. And this is what we're hearing this morning through what Jesus says is this is where you need to align yourself. Don't get distracted. Keep, keep your eyes on this. Valuing what I value, and that is the lost. We see the stories here of of those who searched until the, the lost sheep, the lost coin was found. The father who made sure that he was at the gate every day waiting and waiting and waiting for his son who in a sense was lost to him would come home. A father, in a sense, who would keep his eyes on the road, waiting for his son. What we notice with Jesus is this, that wherever Jesus went, there was a crowd. And in these stories that Jesus says in Luke chapter 15, there was a crowd of people around Jesus. All types of people we see and we read in those first two verses. There were, there were sinners those who were, the, in a sense, the look down on in, in, in society, the, 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 the people who, who were dirty, the, the sinners, the, those who had committed a crime, whatever it might be, the sinners of the time. There were the tax collectors. Uh, that, that, 
Nothing's changed unless the tax man's given us some money back. We're not really that excited by tax collectors. And they, people certainly weren't excited by tax collectors back then. And they, they were looked down upon. But they were in the crowd. But this was the sort of company that Jesus kept. Jesus didn't gravitate to the religious people. He didn't, he didn't pursue being with the religious people of the day. In fact, Jesus gravitated towards the sinners, the tax collectors, those who, who were a ways away from him. Jesus gravitated towards those people. He engaged with those people. People who were nothing like Jesus actually also engaged in him. They liked to be with Jesus. Also, wherever Jesus went, wherever he got up to speak, we notice, and we said this last week, if you look through Mark and underline it, you will see it time and time and time again, a crowd gathered. There was no need for, for, for flyers. Not sure if they did flies back then, but they might have wrote on rocks. I'm not too sure. But there was none of that. They didn't have nice coffee. They didn't have Tim Tams at the end or, or loud bands or pipe organs or whatever we like and we think we need to have in the church. There was none of that. They came to listen to Jesus. They came to hear his message. Now, I'm not saying Tim Tams are bad. Don't ever hear that. Or, or, or a good band is good or a pipe organ is whatever. I'm not saying that's not, but, but that's what, that wasn't at the front and centre. Jesus was at the front and centre. That's what they came to hear. They came to hear his message. What did he have to say? And here's the thing that we need to really take on board. Is that if we say, and there's most of us I'm guessing in this room today, we would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. I, I follow Jesus. Now, those of you that are, have said, I haven't put my trust in Jesus, I don't follow him, I'm visiting today, whatever. I just want to say it is so good that you are here, first and foremost. It is so good that you are here and we would hope that you feel welcomed and accepted and valued. There's nothing that you hear today you've got to go away and do, but we are so glad that you're here. But for those of us that hear and we would say, yes, this is my church, I'm a follower of Jesus, here's a challenge for us because... We see in the scripture that the church is his body. We are his representative. You are his representative. Sometimes, and I even fall into the trap of saying, well, this is my church. This is not my church. This is, this is God's church. And we have the privilege of being called it and being part of it. What a privilege. But, but with that in mind, we need to be true to what Jesus spoke about. We, we need to be true to living it out, responding to what he said. That people are drawn to this church. They're drawn to you as his follower. Because we are on the mission of Jesus. We're drawn to be the church that, that, that our Heavenly Father wants us to be. People who, 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 who might come to this church, who, who might walk in these walls. They might come along to playgroup. They might do something throughout the week, but they don't actually agree with the message. But there's something about this church to start with that they like about us. They don't go, whoa, I'm out of there. They're weird. They're mean. Whatever it might be. That there's something that actually brings people here. Now, as I said last week, and I'll say that a couple of times this morning, but here's a really important key point. We don't water down the message of Jesus. We don't aim, well, let's be a motivational, happy church. Okay, oh, I'm ready to walk through a brick wall because I'm pumped. Whatever it might be. 
Hopefully we want to walk through a brick wall or whatever for Jesus, don't get me wrong. But, but we are about his word, no doubt about that. We don't want to take shortcuts on that. You know, when, when I preach, when Luke preaches or whoever it is that's up here, hey, we're, we're taking, we're, you're hearing God's word. We're hearing in a sense from Jesus. We don't want to avoid his word. We don't want to get distracted from everything else and miss Jesus. We want to be all that we can do to be in line with Jesus. That's, that's, we want to be on mission for him. You know, the church's mission is to get into the habit of doing everything it can of making the church and the message of Jesus irresistible for people. Those who don't really like the church, that they still there's something that is that's drawn, that draws them here. There's something about it. They don't get put off. Sadly, we live in a society where less and less people are drawn to the church, even drawn to Christians at times, because. The things that we can do, we can seriously put our foot in it. And it pushes people further away rather than closer to Jesus. Maybe some of us here actually might have to get to that place of pulling the foot out of our mouth and make some changes that draw people to Jesus through our life. So Jesus tells these three stories to all the different society groups that were in place at that time when Jesus tells it. The tax collectors, the sinners, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious groups of the time, they were all there. And Jesus, in his most masterful way, addresses both of these groups through this story, these stories. And I want to encourage you, if you weren't here last week, to go online. We've got a new website, ksbc.org.au where you can, you can download and listen to the message that I spoke last week on this. But what we highlighted last week, that, that unlike the people in that, in that community that was listening, listening that day, and unlike much of our community in which we live today, Jesus was not about putting labels on people. But he, but he confronts this issue through these stories um, uh, in Luke chapter 15. The adjectives that people put on put on people. For Jesus, there's no label. Sadly, we live in a world where we go, well, they're the good people, they're the bad people, they're the educated, they're the uneducated, they're the people from this suburb and these are the people from that suburb, these are the single parents, these are the good parents, whatever it might be. We label people, we put adjectives on people, but Jesus doesn't do this and it's highlighted through these stories. Jesus teaches both groups and you and I how he views people through these stories about the stories of the lost being found. When something of great value is lost, we go to great lengths to find it. And in these stories, that's what happened. The shepherd does, the lady who loses the coin and and the father. The loss being found is a powerful human emotion because this is how Jesus sees people. He sees those who are not in relationship with him, who are disconnected from him and he wants to be in relationship with them. And if that's you this morning, he wants to be in relationship with you.
And that's how he wants you and I, if we're followers of his, to see people in the same way. He has such a desire to be connected with people, in relationship with people who are not in relationship with him. This is how he sees people, every person, from the people in our workplace to the people in your math class to the people you have lunch with at university to the people that you play Scrabble with at the retirement village, whatever it might be, those in your home, those in your street, that's how he sees each and every person. There is not a label on a person, they're good or bad, whatever it might be. That is my child. I love them. Just as he sees you in the same way. And Jesus expresses this in the story of that disobedient son in verse 24. It's revealed there where he says, For this son of mine who was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. You were once dead, but you're alive. You were once lost. You were once disconnected from me, but now you're connected with me. And he says, let's have a party. Not a golf clap, but a party. Let's celebrate that. Jesus, he sees his world and he sees the lost and those who are disconnected. And he wants to be connected. He wants to be in relationship and he wants his body, his church, to have that same mission, to value that. You know, as we said last week too, the reason that Jesus spent so much time with those who were far from God was because they were far from God. And in some ways, that should be a reminder to us, a challenge for that. Knowing that we are his body, that should be what we are about. We shouldn't be a, a little group that gets together on Sunday and that's where it begins and ends. I would hope that Kilsai South is filled with people who continue to have an impact in the community. I would, I would hope that if tomorrow, tomorrow, if I had to ring you all and say, we're selling the church, it's all up for sale, we're closing down, I'm sorry, just to let you know. And we put a for sale sign up the front that there would be people in the community that would go, what are you doing? That can't happen. We can't, we can't afford for this church to close down. Or would it be a church that someone would just go, well, that's up for sale. Should we buy it? Nice piece of land. It's a good question. A challenge for you as an individual, but for us as a church to keep asking ourselves. Part two of the message is just to have a quick look at the older brother. How many of you are old, the eldest in your family? Let's see those hands raised. Let's stand together as one. All right. All right. Hand high. That is us. We are the ones who have been picked on by our parents who have been given a hard time. There's only one person that I know in this whole building this morning that as an eldest child has never been given a hard time, and that is Samuel Dyer. What a lucky kid, <laughs> hey? All I know, it's been very good parenting, but I can't confirm that anyway. Bad joke. But what can we learn out of this oldest, oldest brother, the eldest son? If you've got your Bibles there, love you to... Um, Open up to Luke 15, and I'm just going to read a few verses to you. I don't think it's on the screen. Is it, Dave? Did I put it in? 
I'm not sure. But Luke 15, uh, 25 to 32. I did. There you go. Uh, Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. When he came near... When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So we remember that. The father was celebrating that the son had come home. The party was happening. The lost son had come home. So he called one of the servants, this being the oldest, oldest brother. He called one of the servants and he asked, what is going on? Your brother has come, the servant replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father, again, this is, I'm not going to, I haven't got time to preach on this, but this is a, just a great example of, of a loving father again here. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. All these years I've been slaving for you and have disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when his son of, when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. The father said, My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What, what can we learn out of this, this little part of the, the story? Well, what we can learn is this, that there are some real danger signs that um, I, I, I see here through this interaction and the, and, and the response of the of the oldest son that can be danger signs for us in not valuing what what Jesus values of getting aligned in the wrong way the first one is this is that proximity is not intimacy although the older brother lived and worked with his father he didn't appear to have or understand his father very well at all he seemed shocked that his father would would be overjoyed to welcome his lost son that had come home If he knew his father's heart a little better, he may have expected it. But like the Pharisees, and remember the Pharisees who were there when when Jesus was was telling these stories, they they thought, they thought they were in line with God and his ways. Like the Pharisees, they, they were shocked Jesus would have any interest, any time for those tax collectors and sinners. Look. He, he invites those disgusting people. It's like the father, like the, the son saying of his brother, look, he, he's, he's accepting my horrid brother for everything he's done. He's slept with prostitutes. He's, he's blowing all the money. Perhaps for him, the s- surroundings had become familiar. The routine of this faithful service, so predictable that it didn't, appear to be essential to get to know his father better. Folks, we can lose interest. We can lose interest even in what is valuable to Jesus. We can actually lose value in that. Perhaps the son thought there was nothing more to know about his father than he already knew 
over the years. And that can be true of any relationship. Not all people who live together and necessarily enjoy the closest relationship. There's no intimacy in it at all. There's no depth in it at all. There's no value in it all. There's no valuing of what the other one values. And that can happen in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. If our relationship with our Heavenly Father is not, is not intimate, is not deep, well, you're not going to value what He values. It just doesn't happen. It's not going to happen. We're, we're, we're in a sense unconnected. You know, I'm, I stand here, up here and I'm really fortunate and, I, and, I, and it's something that I just am so thankful for that I'm in a, a really good marriage. And, and Son and I value the same things. We, we have a deep, intimate relationship. So we want to make sure we have the same values. We want to be on the same track together. And that's nothing different between what my Heavenly Father wants with me. Sometimes we think we've learned all that we need to know about our Heavenly Father. That we've grown as far as we can possibly grow. We can even hear a story like Luke 15 and go, I've heard that before. Move on, Tim. Give me something new. We can approach the Bible the same way. We can settle into a pattern of Christian living which may become comfortable for us, but has little to do with valuing what God, our Heavenly Father, values. We don't see the lost. We're not aligned with the heart of our Heavenly Father. You know, I've learnt this over time, that as a Christian, it can actually get pretty easy to get comfortable we see the interactions, we don't have time to go through them all, of Jesus with the Pharisees. And, and how, he, how, how he, his anger with, with, with their attitude, with in a sense the, their comfortableness. But folks, it's easy to get comfortable. Watch out for that. Jesus wants you and I to not only know him, but to be to deepen our awareness of him and his love for us. It's amazing, where, where's David? What David read just before, I've got in my notes, Ephesians 3, 16 to 21. I was going to say, I don't have time to read it, but David, you've done it already. Just a, a great effort there. But I had it in my notes because it reveals that the love that a heavenly father has for us and he has for others. You know, the more our heavenly Father, we know our Heavenly Father, the more surprises there will be for us where His Holy Spirit wants to lead us. But it needs an intimate relationship. What we see also, another thing about the, the, the eldest son is that loyalty is not intimacy. Obedience and faithfulness have often been a bit of a trap for me. Oh, I'm being obedient, I'm being faithful. But it can fall into a bit of a trap because it has a bit of a touch of Phariseeness. I'm not sure if that's a word, but I've created it. A Phariseeness about it. I'm doing the right things. I'm loyal, whatever it might mean. Make sure my CV, in a sense, is, is impressive. But there's no intimacy in relationship with my Heavenly Father. 
You know, Gerard Hughes, the writer and priest, was walking along through Germany on a pilgrimage when he came to a building which had the following words written across the entrance. It said this, There is one road to freedom. In millstones are obedience, diligence, honesty, order, cleanliness, temperance, truthfulness, sacrifice, and love of one's country. That sounds pretty impressive, doesn't it? Almost the kind of thing that you could actually nearly find as a mission statement in a Baptist church. But here's the thing. It was on the entrance of an administrative block of a concentration camp in Germany. You know, there's, there's danger in loyalty. There, there can be danger even in, in obedience and sacrifice for the work of God even. When it does not spring from an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. The brother, the older brother, he obeyed. He sacrificed. He says, I've done everything. But you haven't even given me a goat that we can sacrifice to celebrate with. Third thing is this. It's hard to celebrate God's grace and celebrate God's grace so it's hard to calculate God's grace and celebrate God's grace at the same time. The father's love for the younger son was not fair. It was outrageously unfair for the older son. Well, he thought so anyway. God's grace, though, is outrageous. His, his grace for me is outrageous. You know, as... As he spoke, he said, I have served you for many years, the son said. I haven't flaunted your generosity. You haven't even killed a baby goat for me. He gets the fatted calf, that son of yours, who, who's flaunted everything you gave to him. I sense the Pharisees would have had to have thought, he's talking to us. We've been obedient. We've been faithful. But Jesus was entertaining the sinners and the tax collectors. That's not right. That's not fair, Jesus. What can we learn from this story? Jesus wants his church to be more like the father than the older brother. If you want to scribble these things down, please do so. Jesus wants his church to be more like the father than the older brother. And what we notice about the father is this. Remember when the son was a long way off, the father saw him and he was filled with compassion. That is how we need to be as a church. To see people in that same light the father saw the son. Second thing is God wants us to know him, to have an intimate relationship with him, to relate more with him than anything else. How's your relationship with Jesus? Is this it? This hour and a half? Is this it? Or is there greater depth? As I said with our prayer, Jesus just longs to hear from you. He longs to have a deepened relationship with you. You know, my marriage, I just long being with Son. I just love being with her. It's actually just the best thing I, I do is just being with Son. That's my favorite thing. 
Last night was good when the cats won, but but I just love being with Sonia. That's a, that's a just something that I, and and it's the same thing with with our heavenly Father. He just wants this such a deep and intimate relationship with you, like that father in that story with both of his sons. Because what happens then is you're going to value what he values. Our work for him is only helpful when it springs from that loving relationship with him. Our Heavenly Father, fourthly, is much bolder than us in his willingness to love and accept people than we may believe are undeserving and unworthy. Let's become bolder. Let's remove labels on people. Pull one another up on it. Don't see someone as unemployed or employed, whatever it might be. See them again as a child of God. And sometimes, folks, that can be really easy with nice people. But even when we see people doing those horrific crimes, whatever it might be, an intimate relationship with God will lead any church into new untried paths. That means being willing for change, new direction, new paths. That can make us feel pretty uncomfortable. But that may be the path that our Heavenly Father wants to take us down into the future. Create those paths. Don't be afraid to do that. I love it when people come up and say to me, I've got this idea. I'd love to talk to you about it. I really sense this is where, where Jesus is, is prompting me. I love hearing that. Jesus wants his church to be more like the Father as he sees and treats both of his children. And my prayer is for this church, Kilsyce South, that it's filled with people just like the Father. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, may we value what you value just as you value us. May we be filled with compassion for people like that Father was for his Son. But also, as it's seen there in that story, the love that he had for his eldest son as well. I, I want to pray, Lord Jesus, even today for myself, but for others, that we would have a, a desire to not only just know you, but to have an intimate relationship with you. For those of us that would say this morning, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus that we would actually go from here saying a prayer in a similar way that goes, yes, Jesus, I've known you for a long time, but my relationship with you has drifted. It's there, but it's not intimate. But I, I want to have a deeper relationship with you. I want to align myself with you and your ways, not just at church, but in every day. Finally, again, I pray that this church would be filled with people. Filled with people who align themselves with you. And as we see out of that story that Jesus told so very well of having a heart for those who are yet to be in relationship with you, who have disconnected themselves with you or have never connected themselves with you, may we be passionate about that. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.